Amen. That's a great reminder through song. I love the words of the song. Uh, the fact that God has born, made us born again. And then we ask and pray that he will keep us walking worthy till we see his face. Uh, great songs, great meditation, great focus already in the morning service. And I look forward to uh, being able to continue that in our study of the scripture. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12 this morning. Uh, we're going to be finishing out 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and a theology of the gifts uh, this morning. That will prepare us next week. If your favorite chapter in the book is 1 Corinthians 13, we'll start that next week. So tell all your friends, invite them, uh, have them come as well. Great focus on the love chapter. Uh, but we'll start that uh, next week. Uh, this morning, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 27 through 31. We've been discussing uh, the fact that the Corinthians uh, had some questions about spiritual gifts. And that before Paul answers their specific question, he lays out a theology for spiritual gifts in chapter 12. It's It's a long theology and there's much that he has to say. He talks about the extent of the gifts. He talks about who distributes the gift or the source of the gifts. He, he also talks about the purposes for spiritual gifts. And it was within this last discussion that Paul introduced an illustration, a metaphor, to, to help him relate what the purpose of the gifts are. And that metaphor is the, the metaphor of the human body. At the beginning, of, beginning and middle of chapter 12, uh, Paul uses the body as an illustration of the great unity that believers should feel. Yes, there are many parts to a body, many fingers, toes, different appendices, but we're all one body. We share a great unity in the body. And the illustration goes to members and how they function in the church. He then also uses the body as an illustration for the interdependence that uh, members in the church should feel or that they do experience in the body of Christ. And as we get to this last paragraph, he's going to use the body uh, for one last reason. Here he's going to demonstrate that the body, the church, must take care of itself. Must take care of itself. Do you realize that the human body is a self-caring and often a self-repairing organism. When one body part goes down, normally in a healthy functioning body, other body parts come to demonstrate uh, their need and care. They, they compensate or they nurture the wounded body part to bring it back to health. So, for instance, if you ever cut your finger before, what's the first thing you do if you cut your finger? Okay, I, I do not know why we do this, but instinctively we normally will go, okay? And actually, I researched that this week, and uh, I'm not a medical doctor, okay? So, there are all sorts of different reasons why people think you do that. It may be that you're cleaning the wound or maybe making it dirty if you haven't brushed your teeth for a while. It, it may be that you're helping. The, I mean, there's some far outlandish theories out there as well about, you know, it's like stopping or clotting the blood. It's a huge controversy. But the mouth comes to the aid of the finger. 
Let's use a, a different analogy. Let's suppose you were out running or walking this week and you sprained your ankle. How do you normally respond when you sprain your ankle? Well, you might limp to a place where you can sit down. And in such a case, what happens there? I mean, if you stop and actually think about this, your one leg takes over and compensates and takes all the strain in the way. The one healthy leg doesn't, you know, doesn't argue. It just doesn't. And then you go and you find a seat. And when you sit down, your mouth gets involved, right? Your mouth, you yell to someone, go and get me a bag of ice. The mouth is compensating for the ankle. The knee on the wounded leg triggers in and lifts it so that the swelling goes down. Your hands and fingers get involved as well. Your hands slowly, eventually, right? You take the, the shoe off. I know there's different debates about that as well. Uh, but eventually you will take your shoe off and you take your sock off and then you put the ice on the ankle. You see, all the body parts are getting involved in compensating. Your eyes will then strain intently, right? Looking for any sign or evidence of a break in the bone. God has miraculously prepared the body with self-repair mechanisms. Now, the church must lovingly care for itself as well. As we look at verses 27 through 31, I want you to see how Paul makes that sort of point. Look in your Bible, verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gift of healings, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. Let's pray together this morning. Father, as we look at the text of Scripture this morning, I pray that you would help me explain it clearly. And that, Lord, when, when we come to a command, an imperative near the end of the sermon, that each member of the body would take it to heart. That there'd be no person who attends Colonial Baptist Church that would say to the command of the Apostle Paul, it's not for me. But, Lord, through your Holy Spirit... I pray that you would enable us to understand this text well and then apply it to our own lives. Lord, help us to live in obedience to this text and may the, the illustration or the metaphor of the body be used by your spirit to compel us to strongly crave after gifts that can build others. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Paul's last comments here about a theology of gifts come in four parts. I don't have a handout in the bulletin, but it's a simple outline you can follow along. They come in four parts. In verse 27, first, I think Paul gives a final summary. And I won't take long on some of these parts, by the way. Verse 27, he says, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. I think Paul, in verse 27, has a header, like uh, the header on some of the sections right before, where he actually mentions the body, and he makes this point explicitly clear. 
I mean, he's been implying this all along the way, but here he makes it obvious that he sees the Corinthian believers as members of the body of Christ, the church, and that each member is a part of the body. As we've gone throughout this series, one of the questions that I hear from you uh, repeatedly, I've actually heard this question three or four times, uh, I thought I could address at this point, is some of you have been wondering whether Paul is specifically talking about local, the local church at Corinth, or local churches here, or is he using the metaphor of the Bible to describe the universal church, you know, the church? Is he talking about an individual congregation or the corporate church? Well, in its original setting here, Paul is speaking to a church located in Corinth, a local church, or local churches located in in Corinth. But the way that Paul will often speak in the New Testament of individual churches is he'll describe each local church as an exemplar of the corporate church. In other words, Paul will normally describe each local church as the epitome or the full essence of the church. Okay, so Uh, Paul can say to the Corinthian believers, you, in Corinth, are the body of Christ. You are the local church in Corinth. I think he he can, by application, you are the church. You have all the gifts, and you're individually members of Jesus' body. Okay, So that's the summary. That makes clear what he's been getting at with the body illustration. That leads us to, in verse 8, a list of gifts. So, second, Paul gives a list of gifts in verse 28. Look in your Bible at verse 28. And God is appointed in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping administration, and various kinds of tongues. As we go through the list, there are a few things I think we need to look at a little bit more closely to understand the text uh, and, and, and then we'll look at the eight gifts just, just quickly. Uh, one of the things I think that should be intriguing to you as you read through this book is, uh, first we need to explore why Paul ranks the gifts. You see that in your Bible? Ever wonder about that? Why does he say first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then, then, why does he seem to rank the gifts, what's going on there? So let's talk about that for a moment. It may be that Paul, in his mind, when he's, he, he gives this ranking, that he's just simply giving you something to hang a list on. Okay, it may mean that there's really no or not much significance to this. And actually, I think I've got a slide on this. He, he may just be listing them, okay? There's nothing of significance communicated in the numbers. Some people would suggest that. However, I think there are better, better ideas here. Why does he list them? First apostles, second prophets, third teachers. Some people come to this passage and say that Paul is giving a rank or authority to the local church. So the gifts at the top, like apostles, are, are the ones who are to be demonstrating the most or have the most authority inherently in the local church or in the churches of Corinth or in, in the broad church. However, if you take that idea, once you get past the first three, I think it breaks down a bit. You might hold that for the first three, but, uh, but then Paul continues the list. He says, then uh, gifts of healing, then miracle working, or miracle work- workers. 
Okay, so he's continuing this digression. Uh, I think it breaks down when you get a little bit later in the text, you know. So, uh, for instance, um, how are those who help, who have the gift of helps, of greater rank than those who administrate in the church? A greater authority. Okay, so I, I think this idea, there could be something to it, but it breaks down. Uh, another way of looking at this is Paul's just talking about sequence or time. So Paul's listing the gifts in temporal order, the way that they were given to the church. So he starts with the apostles, they perform their ministry. They might continue on their ministry, but then he introduces another uh, gifted person to the church, the prophets, and the prophets are doing their things. And then along, a little bit later on, comes teachers. He might be describing sequence here. Uh, So one commentator described it this way, Mark Taylor. He said, the designation first, second, and third may indicate a chronological priority. Okay, so he just may be talking about the order of the gifts that he gave to the church in, in time. Uh, however, I think there's, there's one other way to look at it, and this is uh, what I would suggest that you think about, you consider. All, and, and there may be some truth to more than one of these. Others say, no, they're ranked in order of value. So let me read you uh, one person who writes this. He says, in order to identify the gifts that would yield the greater profit, Paul enumerates in verse 28 a sequence of gifts arranged in an order of descending value. Okay, so it may be that Paul saw some gifts as having more value inherently than others. Okay, however, I think we need to ask in what way would he say that? Okay, because he's just defended that all gifts are important. And that if there is a gift that has less honor, that God comes along and he bestows more honor upon it. Okay, so he has made that point throughout. However, I want to suggest that the sort of value that Paul might have in mind here, he will express later in chapter 14, verses 1 through 5. I think what Paul is doing in this text in listing out these gifts is he's arranging the gifts in order of their ability, inherent ability, to edify or build the church. Look with me in your Bible at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 1 through 5. So you got this love chapter, but right after the love chapter, verse 1. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Where was prophesy or the gift of prophecy on the list before? Okay, it was very near the top of the list. First apostles, second prophets. Especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue, where was tongues? Where's various kinds of tongues on Paul's list? At the very bottom. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God For no one understands him, but he others mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding. There's a word that means edification. And their encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds. But who does he build? At least the way the Corinthians are practicing the gift. He is building up himself. But the one who prophesies prophecies builds up the church. So in chapter 14, Paul is going to fully uh, elaborate on what he's doing with the gifts here 
and why he would rank them and put them in, in this order. He's going to make it clear to us that Paul is bumping up the gifts. The, 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 the gifts go higher in the list as there's potential for edification or building the body of Jesus Christ. Okay, so we're trying to figure out why are the gifts ordered. I think this is why they're ordered that way. There's some gifts that have more ability inherently to build up the church, to minister to other body members in the assembly. I go back to chapter 12, verses 27, or actually verse 28. You've got eight gifts here. And let me just point out another very quick, quickly, another very interesting observation about these eight things. These eight things come in two groups. The first three describe officers in the church or positions, persons, whereas the last five describe gifts. It may be that once you start into like healing and miracle workers, that there was no one person that the church would think of that was called to perform miracles or do healings, or there was no one person that everyone knew was the helps person or the administrator, uh, like there was with these first three gifts. So now that we've looked at that, let's look at, let's look at these gifts. First of all, he describes three different offices or persons in the church. Look at verse 28, he says, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. So we'll look at these very briefly. Uh, with, the, with the terms apostles and prophets, um, it seems as you study the New Testament that these are individuals that God gifted to the church to establish the church in its foundation. Turn over for one moment to the book of Ephesians and let me just read a parallel passage for you. And uh, matter of fact, you're going to want to turn to Ephesians because I'm going to use it now and I'll use it again in about five minutes. So you'll keep your finger there. As you go to chapter uh, two in Ephesians, Paul's describing about the one-time establishment of the universal church, the called out assembly of Jesus Christ. And you look in your Bibles at Ephesians 2 and verse 19. Paul's got some things to say about apostles and prophets. He says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. We could, we could keep reading. But in this text, it seems that Paul is talking or describing the ministry of the apostles as something that was foundational for the establishment of the church. There's a building metaphor here to describe the, the church in Ephesians chapter 2. And he's saying, you know, God gave apostles, those who'd seen Jesus Christ and were sent or commissioned by him, he gave them to the early church for its foundation. And he also gave the gift of the prophets to the early church. And we've already described the prophet. Okay, a few weeks ago, we, we talked about a prophet and how he would bring new revelation from God to men. Whether that was orally, whether the prophet would speak new words from God. Or whether he would write new words from God. In some cases, what those prophets wrote were put into our New Testament scripture. Regardless, they brought new revelation from God. But I think it's, it's very easy to, to see or to, under, to, to at least suggest that these two offices, apostles and prophets, ceased once 
the foundation of the church was firmly established. As we're going through the gifts, keep your finger in Ephesians for a second. Go over for a second, back to 1 Corinthians 12, and what's the third one? Okay, don't lose Ephesians. You're going to be mad at me in like two seconds if you do. What's the third one? First, apostles. Second, prophets. Third, teachers. Teachers. Most Christians believe that the gift of teaching still exists in the church today. However, okay, I think that is primarily one of the reasons we would argue this way is because teachers work with revelation that's already been given by God to the church. Teachers are not to be producing new revelation. We're not to be cranking out new words from God. Teachers work, however, to uncover God's revelation for the church. That's how teachers are to be using their gifts. Now go to Ephesians 4 for a moment. And uh, Pastor James this morning, right? Pastor James read a very important text about gifts. And uh, a few years later, after Paul writes 1 Corinthians, a few years later, he writes Ephesians. He's writing to this church in Ephesus. He's talking about the gifts that Christ gave to the church. And look with me at verse 11. And he gave the apostles. Sound familiar? And he gave the prophets. Sound familiar? And he gave the evangelists. Okay, that does not sound familiar. Okay, and uh, when we get into Ephesians, we'll solve that problem, that question. But then notice the next one. And he gave the shepherd teachers. That's how I would translate the shepherds and the teachers. Grammatically, in Ephesians 4 and verse 11 there, when Paul uses the two words for shepherd or pastor and teacher, they belong together. So it'd be like pastor-teacher. Okay, so it's very interesting. In a similar list, when Paul's going down through the gifts that are given to the church, the, the gifts that are given to help equip the church to, to perform the work of the ministry he mentions the pastor slash teacher. So going back to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, when Paul's going down through this list, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, I think that with teachers, he has primarily in mind pastor teachers that are given to the church for the upbuilding of the church. That is not to deny the fact. I think that we have lay people. We have people in our church who are not... full-time ministers of the gospel who have the gift of teaching, who can use the gift of teaching to minister to others within the body. That's why we have ABS class, adult Bible study classes, children's Bible study classes. I hope in most of those cases, we've got people who are gifted with teaching who are using their gifts to bring up and build people in the church. Okay. However, in this list, when he's talking about the offices, I think he's, he's speaking in reference especially to pastor teachers using their gifts in the uh, assembly, okay? Now, go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 again, and we'll just go quickly through the rest of this gift gift list, and we can do this pretty quickly. After the three offices, Paul lists five gifts themselves given to the church. He starts with the word then, which seems to continue, continue the list and transition to these gifts, um, and he, he, he first then mentions the gift of performing miracles. Uh, we've already defined and talked about this gift a few weeks ago again. Remember, the gift of uh, performing a miracle required great faith. 
in the first century. And this gift was given especially to uh, confirm the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, to validate that God, God came in power through the Son, Jesus Christ, and these, these miracles would be done occasionally by people in the first century to demonstrate that. He then says uh, this, you know, similar things. You've got the gifts of healing. Healings, again, would give evidence to outsiders that God was at work in a u- unique way in the followers of Jesus Christ. This was in our last list as well, so we move along to the gift of helping and the gift of administrating. These two gifts are found for the first time and the only time in your Bible right here. Paul mentions two other gifts, and these gifts seem to be perhaps like a little bit less miraculous, but they're both important as well. The gift of healing probably speaks of uh, various ways that believers, or I'm sorry, the gift of helping, various ways that believers might help others or do acts of kindness to minister to them. The gift of administrating, a, 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 a different form of this word would be used at other places in, in the New Testament, Greek literature, and the other form or related form of this word would speak of a ship's captain or a helmsman who would guide a ship along. So some people have gifts to guide the body along, to steer the body along in some way or another. So you got these gifts. And then you have finally, Paul lists, various kinds of tongues. Again, we've done what we dealt with tongues throughout. I defined it a few Sunday nights ago. You can go back and you can listen to all of that if you want in your free time, right? But what Paul does here is I want you to just at least point out, I want to point out that where does he list the gift of tongues, various kinds of tongues? He puts it at the bottom. It's last of all. Okay, and I, I think what that will have the effect of doing is it will, it will knock that gift down a few rungs for the Corinthians, Because many of the Corinthian believers, I believe, were suggesting that it was the greatest of all the gifts. And so Paul says, it's actually near the bottom. That leads Paul then in verses 29 and 30, and we don't have a lot of time to look at this, to uh, to see that Paul asks a series of questions about those gifts. Okay, let me me just read them to you, and then I'll make one or two statements about them uh, to help you understand. Look at verse 29. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers... Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? First of all, just a few observations about these. These are very parallel questions, right? They all have the word all in them. Uh, They all expect a negative answer, right? Not everyone is an apostle in the early church. Not everyone is is a prophet. Not everyone helps or has the gift of helps. And so on. So they all expect a negative answer. And then uh, finally, I'd say the answers to these questions powerfully demonstrate that diversity is necessary in the body of Christ. In other words, what Paul is saying with all these questions is one person can't have all the gifts. One person can't do it all themselves. We all need each other. Okay, so as we look at this text, Paul starts with this final summary. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. He lists these eight gifts, different ways that people might be gifted. And then he asks these questions to prove that we we need diversity in the church. And then he closes in verse 31 with a command. This is my fourth point. Finally, Paul issues an authoritative command to the church. And I want to take the rest of our time 
to look at verse 31. Look with me in your Bibles at verse 31. Paul says, but earnestly desire the higher gifts and I will show you a still more excellent way. Here Paul declares, this is the command, it's the first phrase, believers must earnestly desire the higher gifts. That little phrase is extremely important for the Apostle Paul. That's where this paragraph is moving toward. Okay, and I want to make much out of it. Now, there are different ways that different translations of the Bible that you might even have in front of you may have interpreted that phrase. Some people think it's a, you know, it's a Corinthian slogan, that it's not really Paul saying you should desire the higher gifts, but it's what the Corinthians are saying. Other people say, no, it's not even a, not even a command, it's a statement. It's like you are desiring the greater gifts. Uh, other people say, no, it's not that, it's an interrogative. Are you desiring the greater gifts? I mean, there are different ways you could take it. But I would suggest that the way the ESV has it here is right. It's Paul's earnest desire. His sincere desire is that the Corinthians would strongly desire the higher gifts. This is Paul's request, or I guess I should call it Paul's command here. Right? Now, as we look at this, the words earnestly desire are actually very, it comes from one word in the original, and it's a very strong word. The word for earnestly desire would be used, in verb form here, would would be used often of a group of people called the zealots, who were radically committed to overthrow the Roman government so that they might set up Judaism properly in the first century. So this word could basically be translated, you need to be extremely zealous or strongly zealous for the higher gifts. Some translations actually translate it, you need to covet earnestly. It's a strong word I know and often has negative ramifications in English, but it gets close to the sense of the word. You need to have a strong zeal or desire for the higher gifts. Now, what are the higher gifts, right? Because I, I've got a command, right? I've got something I have to follow. What are the higher gifts? And I think that's a simple answer. The higher gifts are, the, are gifts like the ones found near the beginning of the list. Just look up above. Gifts like apostleship. Gifts like the prophets or teachers. Gifts near the top, not a gift like tongues. And why are those gifts at the top or at the bottom? I think in chapter 14, he tells us exactly why. Chapter 14, verses 1 through 5, because the gifts at the bottom, they can be used to build up yourself. Whereas the gifts near the top have an ability from God to build up other people. So Paul gives this strong, strong command. And it has the effect of moderating their desire for the showy gifts like tongues. It's at the bottom of the list. Instead, the Corinthians are to go after gifts near the top of the list. 
And they should prefer these gifts not for any selfish purpose, a covetous purpose for themselves inherently, but they should desire that God would gift them in those ways so that they might be able to minister to the body and see other people build, build up. So we should prefer gifts that remain or are, that remain and that are near the top of the list because they have the greatest potential to build up others in the body of Christ. Finally, there's, there's one phrase in verse, the end of verse 31 that I think is important as well. He says, and yet I will show you a more excellent way. I think in order for us to really grasp that, uh, we need to see a little bit of what Paul is doing. Now, some people will, you know, they'll put like a little line under that more excellent way of draw a line under it and draw an arrow. And where do they draw it? Right below chapter 13. I think that's a good way of looking at that. Let me give you something to think about. I don't know how well you can see this up here. Uh, I'll explain it to you. Um, I think what Paul's doing in, in chapter 12, verse 31, is he's, he's framing chapter 13 with this device that's going to highlight chapter 13. So look in your Bible. If you can't see it up here, look in your Bible. At chapter 12, verse 31, the very first phrase. What does Paul say? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. See that in your Bible? Okay, now go to 14, chapter 14, and look at verse 1, the second part of it. Chapter 14, verse 1, second part. What does Paul say? It's a command, just in case you didn't get it the first time. He's going to repeat it. It's an important one. Earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Okay, so Paul is like putting this frame around chapter 13 to mark it out. Okay, but that's not the only part of the frame. Uh, if you look at chapter 12 and verse 31 again, you go up to 12, 31, and you look at the, the final part of that verse, and yet I show you a more excellent way. Some people come to that and say, what is the excellent way that Paul's describing? I think he gives us that in the first part of verse four, or chapter 14, verse 1, in this frame. What is the more excellent way, Paul? If you sit, sit Paul down. Paul, just tell me, what's the more excellent way? He answers it. In 14.1, when he says, pursue love. That is the more excellent way to use the gifts. So he frames chapter 13, then he makes it abundantly clear that showing or having love as we use our gifts is ultimately very important. It's the excellent way that he describes here. So Paul uses the body analogy to prepare the way for an emphasis on love and the need for believers to desire gifts that have the most potential to build up other members of the body of Christ. In the body of Christ, the main point of this text is that we must strongly covet or desire gifts that can build other people up. Now, if many of us were, tr- were honest, I think that we have a lot of other things that we strongly desire. For instance, and I'm not going to preach uh, too much on these sort of things, because it's going to get away from the point I want to make. But, you know, there, I hear there was a new iPhone that came out recently, right? iPhone 10. Now, I think some of us would have, especially Apple junkies, would have a strong passion and desire 
for the iPhone X. And we talk about it, we scheme about it, we imagine it, we dream about it. Some of us even pray about it. I'm not condemning anyone else on the church staff. I'm just saying, some of us even pray about it. Okay? That's sometimes what we strongly, we strongly desire sometimes things that are for our own use, pleasure, or enjoyment. This text Paul says we should strongly desire things that will help others in the assembly. I was touched by uh, something my wife told me recently about a young man, uh, a a young boy who was uh, visiting our children and our family recently. As he came in, uh, this, this young boy kept asking my wife to go and buy her some cookies. And uh, now, you know, he didn't just ask once. If someone, if a little boy, asks a few times for cookies, buying cookies, how do we respond to that? You hear that story, you say, that's kind of, oh, that's so cute. Right? If it's an older person, you say, you know, buy your own cookies, creep. But if it's a kid, <laughs> if it's a kid, oh, it's so cute. Well, so my wife bought the cookies for him. And that's when this little boy says, he explained to her why he wanted them. He wanted those cookies so much because they were his mother's favorite cookies. And he wanted to give them, he wanted to, give them to her. So we go through this passage, Paul said, you, know, you need to covet earnestly the stronger, the higher gifts. You should strongly desire these things. But so that you can build other people up. Not for your own. Not for your own significance. Not for your own worth. And so I ask you, Colonial Baptist Church, would or could the following words describe your prayers to God? I mean, when was the last time you poured your heart out in prayer to God and said, Oh God, don't allow me to be self-centered in my life. Oh God, give me. Give me higher gifts so that you could use me to impact other people in the body of Christ. God, don't allow me to rest or retire from building up other people in the assembly. Give me opportunity. Give me gifts. Empower me so that I might be able to build more people in the assembly of Colonial Baptist Church. I'll give you a few things to think about here. One one of our biggest struggles, I think, as a church is keeping up with all of our members who are sick and shut in. I mean, in any given week, I, I think that we could probably make or should make 25, 30 visits in a church our size. We could use five to seven members that pastors could train and equip. We'll show you how to do it. Show you how to use the scripture. To minister to someone who's in the hospital. And I said, is that a downtime physically? So where are the people who would say, God, could you use me for something like that? Is it just sitting around here? Oh God, give me a greater opportunity to build the body of Christ. And administer to people. 
We've got a conference coming up in just a little while, and it's exciting, isn't it, that there are over 200 people who are going to be equipped and edified, built up in our counseling training seminar. But we still need help. I mean, that announcement's been in the bulletin for a while. Where are the people who would say, oh, God, would you give me an opportunity to, even if it's behind the scenes, invest in other people? There are 200 people being edified or built up. God, would you use me to help with something like that? Opportunities to sing in the choir. We just put that announcement in there this week. Where the people would use their voices in a ministry like that and say, you know, do you think, do you think that the choir or singing a song, do you think that that sometimes builds other people up? I think that builds people. Are you encouraged by that sometimes? If you have been, say amen. Amen. So maybe by God's grace, now you kind of need to sing, right? So maybe you should pour your heart out to the Lord first and say, Lord, give me the ability to sing, right? (laughs) Give me the gifts. Give me the gifts. Father, And if it's too bad, we could redirect your earnest desire in some way or another. But the main point of this text is that we must strongly covet gifts that God can use to build up others in the church. In your time with the Lord, do you stop daily or weekly or monthly and say, Lord, would you please give me greater empowerment and opportunity to build others in the assembly of Colonial Baptist Church? Let's go to the Lord in prayer and let's ask him to do just that. Father, as we look at this text of Scripture There are lists, there are questions, and Lord, it's so easy to allow our fascination with the lists, how they're arranged, our obsession with the questions and their answers to keep us from the command. Paul the Apostle tells the Corinthian assembly that each member is to strongly desire higher gifts. Gifts that can build the assembly. Dear Father, we know that you are the only giver of gifts, grace gifts. They come from you through the Spirit. We know that we cannot cultivate them ourselves. We cannot get them ourselves. But that the only thing we can really do is pour out our heart to you and say, Oh, Father, give us a greater capacity to build others. Gift us, empower us, give us opportunities to build the assembly. And Lord, we pray that you would do this not so that we would receive the praise, not so that people would look at us and say, look at his giftedness, but that people would actually be built up. We pray that you would burden your people in this room this morning not to recline or to retire from building others up. Would you lead them to consider a person or two or three that they can build through the enablement that you give by your grace? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.